live from the Divine Royalty Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, you are now tuned in to Real Talk with the Real Mocha Sisters. Please welcome our host, Queen Divine. Live. Good evening, good evening, good evening, kings and queens. Thank you for tuning in to another Real Talk with the Real Mocha Sisters. I am your host, Queen Divine. Tonight, I have three beautiful queens joining me. I have Miss Chris. Welcome, Miss Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. I have Miss Paris joining us. And I have the beautiful, her name is Quan. Hey. <laughs> Tonight's topic is colorism in black and brown communities. I named it 50 Shades of Chocolate. So I feel like this is a really big topic that we do not talk about and we do not educate each other on it enough. And it's caused so much separation and strife within black and brown communities. So this is the topic that we are tackling tonight. So thank you again for tuning in. And ladies, thank you so much for joining the table discussion. Welcome. <laughs> so I'm going to jump right on in. And I wanted to give a few, a few quick definitions. So the definition of colorism is a practice of discrimination by which those with lighter skin are treated more favorably than those with darker skin. This practice is a product of racism in the United States in that it up upholds the white standards of beauty and benefits white people in the institutions of oppression, such as media, the medical world, and other areas of the world. Racism is the individual, cultural, and institutional belief and discrimination that systematically oppresses people of color, Blacks, Latinos, Native Americans, and Asians. Discrimination is the mistreatment of an individual or group based on their social membership, regardless of their social power, anyone can experience discrimination. So I want to get those definitions out there first, because when I was first researching colorism, I didn't really associate it with racism. I associated with discrimination because I thought anybody could experience colorism. But then once I dived more into it, I realized, Nah, that has some racist roots up in it. <laughs> some true racist roots. Mm -hmm. So our first question of the night is, why is colorism so widespread but not often talked about? So I'm going to kick it off to her name is Quan first. Quan, why do you think colorism is so widespread but not often talked about? I feel because we so used to it like it's not only just happening with whites and blacks but it's also happening in our own neighborhoods so it's talked about that as normal mm. some people feel like light skin is better than brown skin dark skin and it just it, it feels normal now so and a lot of people don't know what colorism is that's that that part. That part. Miss Chris, I'm gonna kick the same question to you. Why do you think colorism is so widespread but not often talked about? I think it, it's messy. 
you know, kind of like trash. There's a lot of people that don't like to touch trash and don't like to deal with it, but it's still there, you know, and it's something that has been a conflict for us in our communities, as well as like, like Kwan was saying, as well as in between whites and blacks, but also in our own communities. And so it's, it's ingrained. It's a, it's a part of, of the culture and um, there just hasn't been enough time and effort taken to address it. So I agree. I those agree. are my thoughts. Ms. Harris, what are your thoughts on why colorism is so widespread but not often talked about? Um, I think it's just like anything uh, in terms of just being difficult. People don't like to address what's difficult. It, it, it causes fear. Um, it puts us in the position to have to um, answer questions that we're probably not, you know, prepared to answer. Uh, so I think that a lot of it is just, you know, avoidance, you know, what we don't see, we don't talk about, what we don't hear, you know, we don't talk about. So I think a lot of um, us, uh, particularly in the, in the Black community, we don't want to talk about the mess. You know, mm. we want to, we want to, we want to praise, you know, a lot of times the mess, <laughs> but we don't really want to dig into the issues um, that affect all of us because it it, 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 it causes more conversation. And then what that does is gives us the opportunity to now look at ourselves because see, we may find out some things about ourselves when we start talking about it and asking questions and even being in a position to receive and listen that we may not even like about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I agree, I agree. Now, what I have found is that within our community, and you ladies, you can tell me if this has been your experience, what happens at home stays at home. I've been said, so many people in my family have said this, stays at home. So if my cousin, who is more chocolate than me, and then I have an aunt that's different, they may treat me better than they treat her. It happened at home, so stay at home. We're not supposed to talk about it. But nobody wants to explain why am I being being treated differently. We're the same. We're related. <laughs> the same blood is running through our system, but you treat us differently. But what's thrown at me is, well, what happens at home is stay at home. You don't talk about it. And I remember I started this conversation with my mother, and she told me about the brown paper bag test. I didn't know about that. I was not hip to that. I'm that not hip to it. What is that? The bag test was, that's the test they gave you on whether or not you was going to get up, on whether or not you were accepted. If you could pass the brown paper bag test, if you were darker than the brown paper bag, you didn't get the job that was in the front of the house. You didn't get to work the front desk or the receptionist job. You got the job or the cook job in the back of the house where nobody saw you. Hmm. And we, if we go all the way back to where this started, this didn't start with us. Right. This started way back when, when we were on the plantations. You had the house slave and you had the field slave. Mm -hmm. The house slaves were fair skinned. The field slaves were darker skinned. Fair skin was prettier. They got favored first. They got nibs at the good food first, you know? <laughs> But if we really look at the struggle of what the house slave was, the house slave, because they were fair skinned or because they were more desirable to that white slave master, they were raped right. over and over and over again. 
then they have to bear those babies. And don't let those babies come up not fair skin because now your baby is going to go out to the field. So now you separate it from your child. Right. And that's where it started. That's where the separation started. You have to think of the fact that it was more of us than it was of them. So they had to divide and conquer. Have we all gotten together? Oh, we most definitely would overpower them. But they had to divide and conquer. They had to make you think they were weak. You know, they had to do the buck breaking of the men in front of their wives. So this is where I feel, this is my opinion, but this is where I think colorism started. And you ladies can chime in and tell me if you think it's right or wrong, but my mom taught me legit yesterday about the brown paper bag test. Because my mom is chocolate, my dad is chocolate, and I came out like this. <laughs> you know, and I had the question, well, are you mixed with something? No, my mom is black, my daddy's black. <laughs> oh no, you have to be mixed with something. Look how mm -hmm. your hair is. Oh my gosh, your hair is straight. Are you sure you're not mixed with something? I mean, if you want to go back down the line, yeah. The white slave master, Native American, the French slave master. Like, which one do you want to pick? But my mom is black and my dad is black. So I wanted to jump straight into our second question was, how has colorism affected you personally and professionally? And I'm going to hit it to you first, Ms. How has colorism affected you both professionally and personally? Because I know it has. Uh, <laughs> Lord, we need more time. Um, <laughs> so I have been working probably about half my life. And there was living on the East Coast. I lived in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. And moving out here to Seattle, which is 70% white, um, there has been so many struggles um, over the years. But I honestly think that, you know, initially getting those jobs, because I, I started working pretty much straight out of high school, getting those jobs at the front desk and, you know, and then people being surprised that, oh, wait, you can do other stuff. Like, oh, wait, you, you're smart. Like, they're not, you know, I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't, you can't be black and be smart, you know, nope. and acting like it's a surprise. Well, that yes. stuff happens, that stuff happens here. You know, it happened when I got promoted and it was like, I have four people calling me, people I don't, I never talked to, which they would, if they knew me better, they would know how I got promoted. They would have known about the nine jobs that I didn't get before I got the one that I did. Um, what did you do to get promoted? Like, how did you get that job? Was it so-and-so that gave you that job? Was it this person that gave you that job? How did you get in that position? And these were all Caucasian women. Um, I've been working for 20 years, <laughs> number one. Number two, I have the experience, I have the background, blah, blah, blah. But it just couldn't be because, because of me. It had to be because somebody let me in, because somebody, you know, did something for me. And so out here, it's, it's a struggle, y'all. It's um, because people question everything you do. Um, even in your job, in your role, like you already have the job and then there's there's so many people that question your abilities or your credentials or all of those things. And so it's exhausting. Um, 
And then I think personally, you know, that kind of bleeds into my personal life because that's how a lot of people are here. Um, even from like commercials and stuff, we're not seeing the same commercials that y'all might see in Cleveland here. We're not seeing commercials with a lot of people of color now, you know, after last year, there's been a little bit more, but yeah. you know, want to put us on TV. We're not in the media. So it's just, we're not, we're not represented, you know, and that affects a lot of the children that are here. Um, you know, growing up, not seeing anybody that looks like them, whether they're lighter skinned or darker skinned, and even people realizing that there's a range of colors. We come in all beautiful kinds of brown. Um, and caramels and all of that. You know, and it's not, I mean, show family and they're like, wow, you know, because I'm from a large family. It's like, yeah, we're, that's, this is what black people look like. <laughs> but the fact that you still have to have those conversations when there's Google and all these other things, um, it just, it just blows my mind, so. Those are my two pennies. Okay. <laughs> Miss Paris, tell me about how colorism has impacted you personally and professionally. Okay, I'll start uh, with the personal aspect. So um, I grew up in Chicago. I went to school in Chinatown. <laughs> so the school was 80% Asian, 20% African American. Now, I wasn't light enough to deal with the Asians, but I was too light to deal with the Blacks. So, you know, it was like I was in that, you know, that middle. So here, imagine me, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Now I'm this complexion, but I have sandy blonde hair. So, I mean, this is blonde on purpose, <laughs> but like growing up and as, you know, being a child trying to, you know, figure out who you are and where you fit in. You know, I, I, di I didn't feel like that I fit in anywhere, you know? Mm. So that was extremely difficult um, and affected me, you know, in terms of my self-esteem um, as a young child. I didn't think I was cute. I just thought that I was, not that I thought I was ugly, but I just thought that I was bizarre looking. So I didn't feel like I fit, you know, anywhere. So I learned very early on to just embrace me. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, in, in turn has um, <laughs> developed the, the, the woman that I am now in terms of, you know, me being outgoing and me just, I'm going to be me, you know, take or leave me. This is what it is. So it was very difficult, you know, in terms of, of, of growing up until I got to that age where it just didn't matter what what people thought. Now, professionally, as I um, started engaging in the in the workforce. So I was the one never had a problem getting a job that secretary job <laughs> that Ms. Chris was talking about, you know, never had a problem getting that front desk job, never had the, you know, like you said, you know, it was almost like, you know, ooh, this, the sh you know, the showpiece, we want something attractive. We want something appealing, you know, sitting mm -hmm. here at the entrance. But how many promotions or other areas that I tried to develop and grow and apply for that I was turned down for? Because now I'm competing with the white woman and mm. let's not even talk about the white man. Ooh. And then we're going to talk about the light-skinned black man. 
that so, one. You know, I was waiting so, to get that one. Yeah, we don't so, have enough so, time. You know, so it's like I'm, I'm a black woman fighting just to have a place, and now I can't. I, I'm competing now here. Now it puts the competition and the strain between now me and my own people, my own brother. You know, me and the black man because it's like, well, we have you know the same education. You know. We both, you know, have learned this job well. You know, how did you really make your decision? You know, I mean, what was really the, you know, determining factor? So it just has been that kind of, of thing, which kind of like just pushed me into being an entrepreneur and doing my own thing, <laughs> you know. And so Hiring now I've, I've, I've learned the system. So I've learned how to play the game like they do. And it's unfortunate because we are looked over for so many things, you know, and, and it, it's it's blatant. It's the blatant disrespect. It's the blatant, you know, you clearly know that this person is making six figures and they can't sign they <laughs> They can't sign their name to a piece of paper. It's like, well, can you, know this you, can you do this? You know, so it's I see it every I see it every day. And it just blows my mind. But you know, it's 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 just a difficult, you know, it's just a difficult place. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier, how people don't want to talk about it. They just still want to brush it, you know, and they want to make it, they want to try to make light of it. But we have more and more. Black people who are stepping up to the game, who, you know, who's who's starting their own businesses and giving other people opportunities because, you know, we got to, you know, what's the saying? Uh, teach one. What, what, what's that saying? Y'all know teach what I'm one, saying. Teach one, reach one. Yeah, each one, teach one. Yeah. So yeah. that's really what we have to do because they not going to do it. It's mm -hmm. up to us, you know, mm -hmm. to do it. So it, it, it's been challenging professionally. You know, again, until you have to take that leap of faith, if that's what you choose to do in terms of uh, being an entrepreneur so that you can now make a difference. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. OK, Miss Kwan. So how has colorism affected you professionally and personally? So, personally, with me being as dark as I am. I'm the darkest of all of my mother's children. To the point I thought I was adopted. Okay. I just knew I was adopted. Like it was a switch my, at the hospital. It was a switch. Something went wrong. Like <laughs> but um and then growing up, I felt like I was not treated as fairly as my brother because he's lighter than me. So it's like, you know, I have that battle going on. And then he's the baby boy at that. So, you know, I'm just like, okay, so this is how life is pretty much. Um, and then not to mention, okay, so I have um, my, I have a best friend who's darker than me. And my goddaughter is lighter than you. Mm-hmm. And she also has very beautiful hazel eyes. Mm. We're in Walmart one day. And 
I don't walk around Walmart, okay? I use the buggy like I'm an old lady. But I got her in the buggy with me. And this white woman comes up and was like, oh my gosh, she's just so beautiful. Is her dad white? Listen. <laughs> the caucasity a, of it. It's a, <laughs> it took everything in me not to cuss this lady out because I'm like, listen, Quine, you cannot go to jail out here, okay? You cannot. Not today. Like, <laughs> not today, okay? Not today. But I just told her, like, no, both of her parents are black. You know, we can create anything. And that's on that. Like, mm -hmm. and I just left it plain and simple and I rolled on away. <laughs> you pressed the go button and just I pressed the go button and just went on, you know, the room real quick because she was, about yeah. to, she was about to get it. She was she was this close. That was a test. The Lord was testing me. Wow. But <laughs> but it just that like that went to show me like they don't they they really think that in order for us to have a beautiful child that they have to be mixed with another race. Like, y'all don't understand that the reason why y'all are so, um, why y'all hate us so much and y'all so y'all feel so threatened is because we can literally make make anything that look like y'all and look like anything with just us. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you know what? I'ma just room room on the way. Um, <laughs> but so professionally. I've never worked the front. I've the only time that I've worked the front is being in security. And I got that job through my friend. And it's mainly, you know, mainly African Americans um that I see working working in this job uh for this company. So I feel like that was another reason why I even got in because I've applied for other security companies. They have not hired me whatsoever. I've applied to work the front desk at hotels. I've applied for many different positions. And because I've been natural since 2012, oh, baby, they really don't know what to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't know what to do. So it's like I'm always pushed to the back. Um, and it's fine because, I mean, the money comes in when it comes in. But, you know, I don't feel comfortable in a position where I can't be seen. So... Yeah, I don't be working the job for too long like that, mm. whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I want to I wanna jump back in if I could, Sonora, because I want to like, add on something yes. real quick. So my daughter is much darker than I am. Mm -hmm. So she's um, maybe just like, she may just be a little darker, a little lighter than you, but she's much darker. So she's 16 now, okay? Mm-hmm. When she was growing up, and 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 this is the the mindset, you know, not only that, you know, that they see outside, which is why we have to listen to our children and make sure that we're communicating and and and, and teaching them. But so many times she would say, Mommy, I wish I was white like you. This is a conversation I'm having with my six and my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old. Mommy, I wish I was like like me. Why am I dark like you know? Why am I dark like daddy? I said, let me explain something to you. Listen, because you're gonna need this for the rest of your life. Light don't make it right. Mm. White don't make it right. Mm. 
You know, I said you're beautiful in the skin that you're in. So you have to learn to love yourself. I said, I'm no better than you because I'm lighter. You're no better than me because you're darker. I said, but we got to get rid of that mentality now. You know, so from that point, I would put pictures and, you know, write on my bathroom mirror, like with the soap saying, you are beautiful. Like every day would be something like you are beautiful. Black is beautiful and smile. We see you and the world loves you. You know, those types of things, because that's when it starts and we don't even know it, you know, so we don't even know it. So I was glad, you know, it was hurtful when she said it. But I was glad she said it and didn't compress it because that could have been something that, you know, just continued to grow and just diminish her self-esteem. And and it took it, it, it took a while. It's now you can't tell her she's not the finest thing walking. You walking now. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, was well, it that last soap message that did it? What was it? But, um, I love it, it. Was, it was it was a lot. And you know, so it just it affects not it affects us and it affects our children, even when we don't we don't even know that they're looking or they're absorbing and getting this type of negative feedback. And that's the scary part. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation because we don't know what little eyes are seeing. We know what our eyes are seeing, but we don't know what little eyes are seeing. Noah said the same thing to me. He's still, he's still struggling, heavily struggling because I'm fair skinned. My nieces and my nephews are fair skinned. My mom and dad are chocolate. My sister is chocolate, but my son, out of the immediate family, he's the, he is the purple chocolate. <laughs> you know, like he's the deepest, richest, dark chocolate. And I try to, like, you are my chocolate drop. And I try to explain it to him. And then one day I said something to him just because I didn't know what else to say. I said, no, I used to be chocolate too. I've been all types of shades. I said, but when I had you, you took all my chocolate. That worked for maybe about six months. <laughs> that worked for maybe about six months until he repeated that same story to my mother. My mother was like, she don't even get tan in the summertime. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I feel like this conversation is important because like you said, they're looking at you like, no one thinks it's a problem. Like this past year, this pandemic, I know it has affected us all in different ways. My son has truly gone through it. You know, he has been suicidal. He has had anger outbursts. Like when I tell you, we have been through it in this past year. And I thank God every day that I still have my son here with me and that we're still here and we're healing day by day. But he really had it set in his mind that his biological father didn't want him because he was chocolate. Mm. Wow. And you know how much that hurt my heart? Because that's like, you know, you feel helpless. Like, you can't fix that. You want to fix it, but you can't fix that. And I'm trying to explain to him that, you know, there's other factors, <laughs> you know. And I promise you, it has nothing to do with you being chocolate. You are perfect. You are my twin. You look exactly like me, and I am not ugly. So, now, let's move on from this. <laughs> you know what I'm Come saying? On. And there's kids at school that were making fun of him because he's darker because the school he goes to it's majority um arabic kids middle eastern decent 
there's some Asians, it's the school of the arts. There's um, some whites, some Puerto Ricans, some Mexicans. There are black kids there, and there's darker skinned black kids there. But for whatever reason, they're just honing in on him. You're dirty. Your skin is bumpy. And he holds on to all of this. And he says, well, one day, I, am, am I going to be handsome one day? I said, you're handsome today. And he says, no. And then he goes down all the list of all these things that kids are saying to them. And I'm not blaming these kids because these kids heard this from somewhere. You know what I'm saying? They're being taught that, oh, okay, because you look like this, you're different. And different is wrong. And that bothers me because, like Quan said, we have that melanin magic. We can create a gray-eyed baby blonde hair baby, a blue-eyed baby, a green-eyed baby. We can be all different shades of chocolate and brown and black and still be beautiful. White people can't do that. Period. Unless they mix with us. <laughs> you know, so that's not happening. To question who I am and where I came from because I don't fit into your box, that's that brown paper bag test. So it's still alive and well. Mm -hmm. a lot, but unfortunately now we're doing it to each other which is even sadder so we don't even need the white man to do the brown paper back test on us we doing it to each other because I'm fair skinned we I'm like the elephants yes and it, it makes it makes no sense to me so you know, because I don't know if I've ever go ahead sorry it's a little bit of a place no, that's okay. Um, no, I don't know if you've ever heard of how they, when, when we used to have circuses and we used to have elephants in the circus and animals, um, elephants, when they were babies, they would take rope and put a stake in the ground. And so the baby couldn't move, right? Because even if they tried to weigh, at that time, stronger than the elephant. Mm. But they kept that, they kept that situation set up as the elephant grew. So even though the elephants grew to be these huge animals, by the time that they were older, they didn't even try to get away because they could have pulled that stick out the ground and been gone down the road. But from babies, they were taught that they weren't supposed to pick up and go, that they couldn't. So might as well stop trying. And mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of has translated into our culture. You know, mm -hmm. it, it just is that stuff that just festers. And, and I think that's why it's so important to have these moments where we talk and that we stop doing the what goes at home, happens at home, stays at home. Because there was so many bad stuff that was happening in people's households that weren't being addressed, that were being passed from generation to generation mm -hmm. um, that creates people that that talk about people that look like uh, other people that look like us, but might be a different shade or whatever. And it just continues. And that's why these conversations are so important. Um, and, and just adding on, I just wanted to add on real quick to what Quan was saying about hair. For me, you know, I can see how this has all come full circle for me, um, where now I'm in spaces where I have an opportunity to advocate and teach other people and um, work on racial equity, especially around like um, HR topics and things like that. But it has, has the reason it's so exhausting is because I haven't been allowed until more recent to show up in spaces. Gotta, gotta put me away, be able to even have made it as far as I can. 
be able to be in some of those spaces with people, to have an opportunity to talk to them. It took me two years to get my hair braided because I didn't want, I'm working in the office of the director, already not many of us up there and like none. There were not very many at all. So I didn't want my hair to be a thing. And as soon as I got my hair braided, out of the floor, oh, Chris, your hair is braided. Oh my God, you know, you know, just like, is that your hair? Is that extra hair? You know, I didn't want that to be a thing. <laughs> it's all mine, by the way. It's all mine because I bought it. So it don't matter if it's in my head or if it came from a pack. It's all mine. And don't touch it. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. So I'm just saying, like, you know, I, we make sacrifices to be in those spaces <laughs> for people to not feel threatened or not think that I'm an angry black woman, even though that still happens because I speak passionately about this stuff because I've lived it. I've seen my family live it. It's the stuff that, you know, that our communities have been dealing with for centuries. So, yeah, I'm passionate about it. This doesn't just affect me nine to five. This affects when I get off and if I get pulled over by the police, life gets real right then. Um, and it doesn't matter so what color you are, what shade of black you are, you black when you get pulled over. Exactly. They don't care what badge you have from wherever you worked at. They don't care. Mm -hmm. When I leave, and I, I've used it as an example in trainings, when I leave here, I take off my stuff. It doesn't matter who, who I am, you know. I'm a black woman mm -hmm. driving in a car and I have the same concerns. I have the same fast heartbeat. If I get pulled over, even if I just see a, a cop car riding by me as anybody else would in our community. So. And see, that's, that's, uh, you guys have spoken about hair and I feel like we have to talk about that because that is definitely tied to colorism. It frustrates me to no end because in my career, I've always been outnumbered. I was in dentistry for 16 years, worked for white dentists. The office manager was white. The other assistants were white. The dental hygienist was white. I was probably 90% of the time the only black assistant. And a little bit towards the end of my career, when I was working in more diverse office, I was still the only black assistant though. Because the, those doctors may have been of another ethnicity, but they weren't black. So, and it's like the hair always comes up. And it was mind boggling to me in that situation because you're from Africa, just like my ancestors are from Africa. So why is my hair so fascinating? Your hair is wool-like, just like my hair is wool-like. So why is my hair so fascinating? Why is it such a question on if this is my hair or if it's not my hair? Or what do you do to your, so is that natural? Like, was your hair born that way? Like, the interest is there. Like, you're so fascinated with us and who we are and how we wear our crown of hair, but at the same time, we're less than and you're superior. And we, oh, we can't have blonde hair. And I had explained to somebody one day, I said, do you know there are tribes in Africa that have blue eyes and brown hair? I mean, blonde hair. They were born that way because that's that melanin magic. So don't tell me I can't have blonde hair. Want it or not, don't tell me I can't have blonde hair because, and it's always about our hair and then, then we become self-conscious. Like, okay, 
well, I want to go natural now. You know, I've realized putting all these chemicals on my hair to fit in to professional environment and have that straight hair, make sure my hair is laid down, the curls are in place, it's in a perfect ponytail, just like my white counterparts. And now I'm realizing that's not who I am. That's not who I was meant to be. That's not who my ancestors were. So now I slowly start going natural. It's a process when you go on natural. And now they're looking at you. Well, your hair's not looking very professional today. So natural hair is not professional. They started it in the armed services that you couldn't have locked hair or that you couldn't have your hair past a certain part, it couldn't touch your collar. And that was specifically to discriminate against Or you had to pull your hair back in a complete tight bun. And if you have a natural afro, that is a struggle. Baby. You know how long it took me to get my hair up in this afro today? Baby. <laughs> stages of moose, stages of water. <laughs> then I had to tie it up. Then I had to go back and put some more moose on it. And you tell me I have to wear it back every single day and that beret has to fit perfectly on my head. I have family that was in the armed services that used to get demerit all the time because of their natural hair. We think about that wrestler. Remember that wrestler, he had his hair locked up and the referee said it was unsafe for him to do a wrestling match because his locks were considered unsafe and he made him cut off his locks or else he was going to be disqualified. Ooh, can't be my child. But here's here's the thing. <laughs> here's here's the thing. I have so much to say about that. Um, <laughs> they run to the salon to get their hair permed. They they run to the salon to get their hair colored. And I'm sure you guys have been on vacation before you know maybe if you did bahamas or jamaica or, or any place like that and, and even if you have it i'm here to tell you the line is down superior <laughs> with the white folks wanting to get their hair braided french mm. braided and oh mm. put the beads on it i mean it's it, it just amazes me every time i travel and 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 i see that but you know it's like they they talk about us, but they want to be us, you know. So it's oh, like sure. they, they 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 try to you know demean us, you know, just by the way, try by our appearance, maybe because they 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 know that we're equally as intelligent or better, you know. And and look at now, look at th this Botox and and these we we've had nat natural these things, this thing down here, you know, these hips and this and this rump, you know, and now. They're going there. They're getting injections, and not to say that 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 black people aren't doing it too. But this started years ago because they wanted to be like us. They didn't understand why their bottoms were flat. They wanted to know how you get that lift, you know. So that's where all that stuff came from. And it's you know it it just behooves me every time because you know it's like how can you talk about us and dog us, but you want to be us so badly. But, you know, instead of just in, in embracing and engaging and, and, you know, everybody just, you know, can we all get along type thing? You know, it's just so much hatred. But, but it's just but it's it's a learn. It's, it's something that's learned. It's a learned 
process that's went on from generation to generation to generation. And, you know, it's just it's just sad, but it's funny now, you know, as we you know, as I've become an adult, because, you know, I really can see what's going on. And it's like, wow, you really have to be a miserable person or you really have to be in a sad place to spend that type of time concerned about is my hair, do I have a weave or do I have some hair in my hair or, you know, is my daddy's sister cousin white? Is that why I look this way? Am I this light skin? You know, you have to be in a sad and incomplete place in your life to even care that much. Why do you even care? Mm -hmm. You know, and then to piggyback off of what she was saying, Mm -hmm. not only do they want braids, they is getting so ins for afros. Baby. Where they do that at? Oh, baby. <laughs> Listen. They did not show you so much. Like, these white women is going to go get afros installed in their head, okay? Oh, like, you know who that was? That Rachel girl. You know who I'm talking about? That Rachel girl that presented herself as black oh, and yeah, yeah. be a white woman? She got an afro. Now I know who I'm talking about. Yep. She got an afro installed. So it. And, I mean, it's other white women that's doing the same thing. And I'm just like... And then my mother, she always say, you know, how can they sit up here and hate us so much, but they want to get their skin tan to be darker like we are. They sit up here and they want to call us monkeys, but they're hairier than what we are. And it's just, you know, like it just don't, it don't read. Make it make sense. They get, they get body makeovers to have large butts and shapes like us. Lip injections to have fuller lips. Because y'all don't have that shape. Oh, the lip injections. <laughs> I feel like that might be a whole nother podcast. Like we need to have a whole nother podcast on plastic surgery. Culture <laughs> 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 vultures of us. I feel like that is like a whole nother podcast. Um, that kind of leads into what our black history fact is of the night. I made a commitment that this platform is going to do a black history fact every single show, black history 365. So our Black History Fact tonight is on Sarchi Sarah Bartman. Now, I was not familiar with her until Kim K, because I'm not going to say her name on my platform. Kim K had that famous break the internet picture of her in that black dress, holding a bottle of champagne while the champagne shot over her into a glass sitting on top of her back end. And then that's when all the stories start coming out that she was being a culture vulture because she's playing off of how Sarah Bartman was put on display because of her large buttocks and the different shades of her skin. Because she wasn't just one shade. I'm not just one shade. You can, my shades go all the way down. I am not just one shade. And she was put on display right next to animals. Right next to animals. Yeah. So I thought that was a perfect Black History fact for tonight. So I'm going to pull up this video real quick so we can see if it'll let me. Yeah, there we go. So this is just a video of some pictures of her. But I want to read a little bit of the Black History fact about her. So Sarah Sarchi Bartman was born in 1789 at the Gamos River in what is now known as the East Cape, Eastern Cape of South Africa. She belonged to a cattle herding tribe 
and she grew up on a colonial farm where her family worked as servants. Her mother died when she was two, and her father, who was a cattle driver, passed away when she reached adolescence. She married a man within her tribe who was a drummer, and they had one child together who died shortly after birth. Due to colonial expansion, the Dutch and her tribe came into conflict, and as a result, her people were gradually absorbed into the labor system. When she was 16 years old, her fiance was murdered by the Dutch colonists. Soon after, she was sold into slavery to a trader named Peter William Caesar. He took her to Cape Town where she became a domestic servant to his brother. And it was during this time that she was given the name Sarchi, which is the Dutch name for Sarah. On October 29th in 1810, she allegedly signed a contract with an English ship surgeon named William Dunalope. Now I say allegedly because the terms of her contract were that she was to travel with him to England and Ireland and work as a domestic servant and be exhibited for entertainment purposes. Now, the suspicion around this contract is, is that the tribe she came from was very well known that they didn't document anything and she was illiterate. So how did she read and sign a contract? And according to this contract, she was supposed to be fed and she was supposed to be compensated for her being an entertainer. So Sarah's large buttocks and unusual coloring made her the object of fascination by the colonial Europeans who presumed that they were racially superior to her. Dunalope wanted Sarah to come to London and become an oddity for display. She was taken to London where she was displayed in a building in Piccadilly, which was a street that was full of various oddities. Englishmen and women paid to see Sarah's half-naked body displayed in a cage that was about a meter and a half high. She became an attraction for people from all over Europe. During her time, there was a campaign against slavery in Britain that was in full swing. And as a result, the treatment of Bartman was called into question. Her employers were brought to trial, but faced no real consequences. They produced the document that had allegedly been signed by her and it made her testify that claimed she was not being mistreated. However, was amended and she became entitled to better conditions, a greater profit and warm clothes. After four years in London in September of 1814, she was transported from England to France. And upon her arrival, she was then sold to another man. He exhibited her around Paris and reaped financial benefits from the public's fascination with her body. He began exhibiting her in a cage alongside a baby rhinoceros. Her trainer would order her to sit or stand in a similar way that circus animals are ordered. At times, she would displayed almost completely naked, wearing little more than a thin cloth. Her constant display attracted the attention of George Cuvier, who was a naturalist. He asked her owner if he would allow Sarah to be studied as a science specimen, and the owner agreed. In March of 1815, Sarah was studied by an anatomist, a zoologist, and a physiologist. Cuvier concluded that she was a link between animals and humans, Thus, Sarah was used to help emphasize the stereotype that Africans were oversexed and elected race. Sarah Bartman died in 1816 at the age of 26, 
It is unknown what her cause of death was. Cooper obtained her remains from the local police station. He dissected her body. He made a plaster cast of her body. He pickled her brain and her genitalia and placed them into jars. And they were placed on display at a museum in France up until 1974. Following the African National Congress victory in South African elections, President Nelson Mandela requested that the French government return the remains of Sarah Bartman so that she can be laid to rest. The process took eight years as the French had to carefully draft a worded bill that would not allow any other countries to claim the treasures taken by the French government. Finally, on the sixth day of March in 2002, Sarah Bartman was brought back home to South Africa. On August 9th of 2002, Women's Day, a public holiday in South Africa, Sarah was buried and she was laid to rest. That is just mind boggling to me. They're so fascinated with this. And I heard about human zoos, you know, when, because I didn't really, of course, unfortunately, I didn't really learn about black history until I became an adult. So I learned about human zoos, but I never heard her story. And it, it, oh my gosh, it hurt my heart so bad. Because I sit here and I think about all the women that have all these surgeries to have these large butts to look like us. And this woman was kept on display naked and then after she passed away she did she still wasn't respected exploited she was completely exploited so there's this young gentleman that um plays that used to play on the same organization as noah and he is very talented and he did a spoken word poem that he wrote about her and so we recorded him the other night so i just want to play that video real quick because for him to be such a young age and come up with these words, these powerful words. I just want to share this really quick. It's a woken with shame. For though my parents is to blame, being noticed is a pain. My brothers and sisters being slain. My home is a luxurious cage. My beauty is a burden. Hard to fathom how my body is used for your mental pornography, deprived of my privacy. My heart lives in the shadows of loneliness and hope to find true love one day. If you wasn't about intimacy, maybe you will see who I really want to be. A mother, a lover, a woman who is treated with respect, a woman who will someday have children, and those children who have children of their own. You choose your happiness over my own. You open my gates and force yourself inside, scratch and claw your way through my walls. I bear the unbearable pain, used as a sex display, my dignity stolen from me. My body is a temple, and it should be treated as such not to support your hormone rage. Have both been a servant and a great attraction, a Venus and an exotic freak, exhibited as an animal, used and abused, washed up and worn out like used shoes, torturing me just to hear my moans, music to your soul, whipping me over and over. Sounded like your favorite track on repeat. I must be the blues that amuse your wicked ways. Look at me in my eyes you gaze, not try one bit of sympathy. What I saw was a man with insecurity not having the ability to please a woman, so I am used as your relief. I am put through the abnormal positions of rising a man with zero capability. Going back home to his wife as if nothing ever happened, but in the back of his mind, images of my naked body constantly on repeat. 
A man that can't a man that can't control his urges is a weak man. How do you clear your conscience before you literally lie to sleep? Knowing that the vow you made to your wife, it was a promise you could not keep. I hope it eats you up at night and you can't sleep. I want you to bear the same amount of pain that you brought upon me. Emotionally, you damage me. Mentally, you frighten me. Physically, you overpower me. I am broken, but still I stand strong. I am a queen and I won't let you take this crown off of me because I'm going to be the motivational story for the young ladies that went through the same struggles as me. The story of a woman who was robbed of her innocence and treated guilty. Guilty for being a black, beautiful queen. Guilty for dreaming of a life besides this one. Guilty for being black and proud. Walking with my head above the clouds, not letting anything tear me down. I want the young ladies out there to know that you're not alone and never let a man or anyone else try to bring you down. This is my story. This is the story of Sarchi Bartman. Yeah. I had to show you. I thought that was so powerful. Wow. He is so talented. And he wrote that himself. That was beautiful. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But wow. then that tells us that maybe we're doing something right. That yeah, is the younger powerful. generation, you know, recognize the wrong and how they treated her enough to speak up about it. And great. I said, that was so fitting. There was no way I was going to have this show tonight and not hear that. No way whatsoever. Um, I know we mentioned in the beginning of the show what the description and what the definition of colorism was. So the third question is a hot button question, but this is real talk. And if you don't like it, too bad, so sad, don't tune in. <laughs> so the third question is, how does colorism support white supremacy? Who are you kicking it off with? I don't know yet. <laughs> Whoever wants to jump in first, like, how does colorism support white supremacy? Well, colorism supports white supremacy for me because, well, to me, I feel um, because it's all about lighter is better than darker. Mm. And this whole racism thing is about white is better than black period so i mean it's kind of the same thing with colorism saying that your lighter skin is better than my darker skin and i mean it's not true because at the end of the day we are all, all human we all bleed the same and it's mm -hmm. only one so nobody is better than nobody mm -hmm. but this racism and colorism got everybody thinking a whole different different thing so that's my it's that white privilege. White is right. I and that just, that even hurt me to say that. Like, white is right. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. And I just think that we have to, we just have to keep that. We just have, we just have so much work to do. We just have to keep going, you know, and we have to continue to, um, have talks like these and, you know, um, continue to listen, you know, and learn um, from each other so that we are able to continue to move and make strides and, you know, be in a position where we're educating not only each other, but our children uh, mm -hmm. and then our children in the position to educate their children and so on. Um, 
it, it, it's a learned behavior that's been going on for thousands of years. And just like anything, no learned behavior is going to just stop because we say stop. You know, it's embedded. And unfortunately, because it's embedded, now we have to we have to create new cycles. We have to create a new norm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's our job, you know, to continue and mm -hmm. press forward and, and educate and reiterate <laughs> that mm, we, 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 we the same, bruh, sis, we, 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 just, we the same. And, um, you know, we're equally as intelligent, you know, my green, this, this, this green dollar in my pocket, it spins the same way as the green dollar mm -hmm. in your purse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, we just we just have to keep on. We just have to have to press forward. And, and, and we have begun to um, realize, I think, that we know that 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 previous those previous statements and, and that that previous cloud that they put over our head is just not true. Those myths, you know, you yes, have to. Yes. Yeah, yes. so we just gotta keep we gotta keep going because we know it, and mm -hmm. they know it. So, Miss mm -hmm. Chris, what are your thoughts? How does colorism support white supremacy? In every way. <laughs> I mean, we've all said it. Said things that I agree with. I don't think there's one way. I think even from going from white is right to light is right. I mean, that's what what they translated into our communities to think that, mm -hmm. okay, even looking at each other, you can't be in the same room and be comfortable because we're going to pit you against the other person because um, your shades are different. And so recognizing that, you know, that it's, it's not just the outside in, it's the inside but the inside as well, um, and that our responsibilities go beyond our own households. You know, back in the day, it takes a village to train train a child or raise a child. People live by that, and and mostly because they didn't have a lot of resources. So you pull together to do what you have to for everybody to make it. You know, and um, I think that that's a, a clear way out of this situation. That's why I think, you know, part of the reason that we've had so much movement in the last year on some of this stuff is because enough people have said, we're not standing for that anymore. This is no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Enough of us are tired because this past year has been traumatizing. And what has happened in this past year, it's not like it's been anything new. It's not mm -hmm. like, oh, they just start killing us this year. <laughs> They've been killing us. Oh, we just start recording right. here. No, it's been on video too. But enough people got upset about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's what changed. And I think colorism, it supports white supremacy and the fact that they're still trying to keep us divided. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that all of us sitting in this room, we not may not be physically in the same room, but we're in the same room together. Oh, we have to be in competition with each other. We can't support support each other. We can't uplift each other. We can't be happy for each other. If Quan gets the job and I don't get the job, I'm supposed to be mad. I'm not supposed to be happy for her. 
So as long as we allow that colorism to still take effect on, it's like, well, why did she get the job instead of me? I, I would have looked better in that job. I would have represented the company better. You know, all those things that go in your head because unfortunately, I, I think colorism is a generational curse that we have to break. We have a lot of generational curses we have to break. That's gonna have to be a whole nother show. But this specific one, <laughs> this specific one is definitely a generational curse because I can remember going down south to visit my family down there as a kid and how we were treated differently, how we were seated differently. My cousins, they're my family. We all the same bloodline, right? But my darker cousins, they have to eat outside at the picnic table, but I can sit inside by the fan. But I want to sit outside with my cousins. Why can't I sit outside with my cousins? Oh, no, you can't be in the sun that long. Why can't I be in the sun? What's wrong with me? So now I'm thinking of something wrong with me. Why can't I be in the sun? You're going to get sick if you go outside. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a city girl. I've been outside all summer long. I come down here to North Carolina, to the country where there's no cars that I'm scared about getting hit. And you telling me I can't go outside? So then I'm asking my dad, like, is there something wrong with me that I don't know about? But the conversation isn't had. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's grown folks' business. Don't worry about it. So then I'm still sitting there confused, like, what just happened? But now as an adult, I understand what happened. You know, it makes sense to me. But that makes it even more sad. Mm -hmm. That makes it even more sad because it's like, I would hope, and I hope somebody corrects me if I'm wrong, that I have never treated anyone any different because of the color of their skin. I would hope if I did treat you any different, it's probably because you either irritated me or you took one of my snicker bars, one of the two. <laughs> but other than that, I don't treat you no different just because you another shade. Because at the end of the day, we all came from the same place. We all came from Mother Earth. And I like to think that the melanin magic was the first of mankind anyways. I truly believe that Adam and Eve looked exactly like us. You can't tell me no different. I believe Jesus looked like us. You can't tell me no different. You can have that picture of white Jesus up in your house, but that's not my Jesus. Not at all. And I think having these conversations help. We have to talk about things. We have to talk about things within our community. We don't talk about things. And this is not just in the black community. That's why I said in black and brown communities because Dominicans are separated. Puerto Ricans are separated. Mexicans are separated. Don't let you be a little bit darker Mexican because then they're not claiming you. Oh no, you're African. No, he's black Mexican. He's still Mexican because <laughs> he's a different shade. And that's what's sad. It's within all our communities. And the messed up part about it is that Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Latinos, Dominicans, Blacks, Jamaicans, Somalians, all of us, we outnumber them. And if we would just come to realize that, hey, we all family at the end of the day. And we all deserve better. All of us are intelligent, no matter what shade we are. You're all multi-talented. I'm more than just a pretty face to sit at your front desk and answer your phone. And the colorism, I feel like, also ties into how we speak. And that's one thing I forgot to touch on, and I'm going to touch just briefly, how we speak. You talk white, Sonora. 
I do. <laughs> yeah. Why do you sound like a white girl? It's like, what does a white girl sound like? I sound like me to me, you know? My mother raised me and raised me to talk proper. Why does she raise me to talk proper? That generational told her that when you're around white people, you have to talk a certain way. You have to walk a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And this was passed down from generation. Well, you can't say that. You have to say it this way because that's how the person said it. So then now here I am. <laughs> and so either if I hang out with the black people and it's like, so you talk white. I thought I talked like me. I didn't know I talked white until a black person told me I talked like a white girl. Do you get asked, so where are you from? Yes, all the time. Me too. All the time. All the time. And it gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse if I go up to D.C. and see my family in Baltimore. And then when I'm around them, I pick up that Baltimore accent. And then I come back. And they really ask where I'm from. Or if I go down to North Carolina, the twang always comes out. Always comes out. And then I come back. So it's like, well, who are you trying to be? Why are you making, like, why does your voice sound like that? You sound different. No, I sound like me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's what I think if we continue having these conversations, and like Paris said, she she made sure she built her daughter up to know that she's a beautiful black queen. Despite what the world was going to say about her. So that when she went out to the world, she, you can't tell her that her stuff don't stink. She smells like roses. Walks very hell high. You know, but if we don't have these conversations and we continue the generational curse that is something wrong with you because you look different or because you talk different or because you look different than your siblings, there's something wrong with you. When you get out to the world, you're really going to be torn down if you're being torn down by your own family. So the final question of the night, and I don't know if we, I don't expect us to come up with a solution. But again, we're having a conversation and I feel like by starting the conversation, we're contributing. So what are some actions do you think we can take within black and brown communities to challenge and end colorism? Well, one, we got to heal. We got to okay. heal past generational curses we got to break the chains mm -hmm. because if we continue to hold on to what the past has taught us mm -hmm. we ain't never gonna grow so we have to relearn the truth mm -hmm. and, that. and that starts from having the conversations like we've just been saying all along we have to we have to talk about it you know we can't keep sweeping things under the rug we have to have honest brutally honest conversations about it you know people say all the time oh just tell me the truth but most people don't want to hear the truth about themselves um so that's where we have to start we just have to start with the conversations and talking about it and you know, go from there. As long as we continue to hide it and mask it and brush it, we're not going to get anywhere. Miss mm -mm. mm -mm. Chris, how do you think we can challenge it, challenge it in colorism within black and brown communities? 
keep doing what, what they've said. Um, and I think not conforming, you know, being solid in who we are individually. Mm -hmm. Sonora, own your voice, girl. That's you, <laughs> you know? And the other thing um, is that we have to, as we break these cycles, it's a matter of, as people are coming up, if I hear somebody say something, I'm at a family event or somewhere, shut it down. If it's not right, you shut it down and you correct it right there. You don't have to be rude. Don't have to do it out of pocket. There's a way to do stuff, you know, without hurting people's feelings mm -hmm. too hard. But mm -hmm. just to call it out, because in that moment, it's teaching them. You're teaching everybody in the room. Mm. And then we bring up new children. They get to see the new way. They get to see us loving on each other and congratulating each other and you know not you better than me or I'm better than you that's how we grow being resilient is how we get out of this hole um as black people I think a super complex you know a lot, a lot of work to be done because there's been a lot of work that has been done to us to prevent us from making it and succeeding but it's impossible. And every day we wake up and we laugh and every day we have some joy or every time we have some joy, we speaking back to colorism. We speaking back to the things that have tried to take our joy and to try to take our complete race. Mm. But we're still here. So that's and what I think. Black is beautiful, melon and magic, all of that. <laughs> all of yeah. that. Yeah, I think this was a great start. I hope it touched somebody. I hope it, you know, motivated them to have the conversations that we had tonight with their children, with their siblings, with their family, with their coworkers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how safe that conversation is going to be, but I, they need to have they need to have those conversations. That <laughs> those conversations need to be had. I know a lot of um, employers are doing this equity and inclusion revamp because of the things that have been happening over the past year and I hope it's sincere that is my hope that this is a thing that they truly do recognize that black lives do matter and stating that black lives matter is not negating anybody else's life but it's because our lives have not mattered for so long that we need to yell that so I, I think we did a great job tonight by starting the conversation I would love to continue this conversation with you because we've touched on so many things that I wrote down in my notepad <laughs> that is going to be future podcast shows. <laughs> One all about plastic surgery. Whoo, child. That one yeah, might have to be minutes. <laughs> because that, that's going to be a big one. That is going to be a big one. But I want to thank you, Queens, for joining me tonight. I appreciate and love each and every one of you for joining me tonight and taking time out of your busy lives because I know Miss Kwan has her little chocolate drop over there. <laughs> Learning for attention. Really? That's a blessing. You better enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy that. Miss Chris, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate you and I love you so, so much. Miss Paris, you know I love you. Look at the chocolate drop. Love you back, sugar. Thanks so much. This was amazing. This was yes. amazing. I think this yeah. is a good yeah. start. I'm hoping in the future, you know, 
once it's a little safer that we can all get together and have this conversation in, por- in person and have it on a bigger platform and have some more people involved in it so the, the message can spread that we're breaking this generational curse. Yeah. We have multiple to break, but we're going to start Speak with breaking vision, girl. Yes, yes. It's on my list and it's on my vision board. <laughs> so yes. I want to thank you for joining Let's me talk tonight. Some more. Awesome. Yes, 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 yes. I want you guys to have a blessed and safe evening. Enjoy your water, your Jesus juice, whatever may be in your cup. <laughs> this has been another episode of Real Talk with the Real Mocha Sisters. We go live every Friday at nine o'clock and we always keep it real. I may giggle too much. I think I said um a lot, but hey, it was real. <laughs> so thank you again, ladies, for joining me. And I hope you guys will join me in the future. Will do. Thank you so much, Miss Call. Have a we blessed evening. Have a blessed evening. Real Talk with the Real Mocha Sisters is live every Friday night. For more information on having your business featured during our live show or on our social media platforms, please email the Real Mocha Sisters at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in to Real Talk with Real Mocha Sisters. We are sisters inviting souls to take action one day at a time. Have a blessed evening, kings and queens.